Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Bob or You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Go Home Bible, You're Drunk, the podcast where we read the Bible and we ponder Christian culture and then we drink because it sometimes it drives you to drink or at least makes you feel like you're a little bit drunk because you lived in it for so long and you don't know why. My name is Justin. I am one of your co-hosts for today. I was a minister for you know, 10 or 15 years-ish, professional Christian, whatever you want to call that. Uh, I was a amateur Christian for most of my life beyond that, and read the Bible many times, have a seminary degree, and now I, you know, have a podcast about it, about, about that lifestyle, what it was like to get out of it. So I'm joined across the country by my delightful co-host. Hey, everyone. I'm Tori. Yeah, I grew up fundamentalist Christian, and you know, was homeschooled. So I read the Bible instead of getting a real education, but at least I memorized large chunks of it. So, you know, that's cool, I guess. Dropped out of Bible school. Wasn't really, wasn't really for me. And uh, yeah, not, not all that long ago, I decided I was like, I'm done with this. This is not, this is not my calling. This is not my gift. I am out. (laughs) God has called me to be an atheist. Goodbye. I think that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The yeah, Lord I'm has like, put it on my heart to become an atheist. I'm like, I can't. That's just that's just how it is. You can't run from the will of God. Something, something, Calvinism. Yeah. So now I have this fun little podcast. I get to decompress, and I feel like it's really good for me. Yeah, it's it definitely it feels good for me to revisit things with fresh eyes and and see it through a different lens. Um, Mm -hmm. and this community is very refreshing as well. Like finding more like-minded people like, Oh, you, you saw this stuff too. And you weren't allowed to talk about it either. And now we can, because what authority structure is going to stop us, (laughs) which is wonderful. So good. Yeah. I guess we're going to start right off the bat with the drinking game. 
Oh, we're going to just oh, jump right into oh, this. Okay. We're going to jump right into this. Uh, into it. I'm here for this. Topic. We we thought as as our therapy, as our decompression, Tori and I decided we were going to do a whole episode on abortion. So as our um, therapy, as our as our this is something, folks. This is what we do for fun. That's and true. That tells you everything you need to know about us. Really does. And if you're and if you're here, this is what you do for fun. And so you're our kind of people. But, uh, you know, I think every time that Christians do a little flip-flop or maybe don't live up to their own ethical statements or, um, yeah, just change their minds abruptly for no reason. Political reasons. Yeah, meaning reasons that get them more power. Go ahead and uh, Mm. take yourself a drink. I've uh, I've already begun. Um, (laughs) Tori will probably be joining me shortly. I'm... (laughs) I have a very tall glass of ice water right now. Oh, that's actually really good. Yeah. One of my, one of my, I'm trying to be more cognizant of how much water I'm drinking during the course of the day. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm like, I don't necessarily feel like I have to get to like, I don't know, 128 ounces or whatever the heck, but like definitely want to be more aware. So that's just where I'm at in the day. <laughs> it's yep. like early afternoon for me, right? Now. Yep. I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've 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 tried to do like the whole like hundred ounces a day before. I just feel like I'm in the bathroom the whole day. Constantly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So that's so why I'm dehydrating myself with whiskey right now. <laughs> um oh, I've just gone the other direction. I'm gonna try to do a hundred ounces of whiskey and see if it balances out. Okay. Okay. I mean, I feel like if you were doing half and half, that would be much better for your liver than if you were doing a hundred. Folks, I'm not drinking that much. I am do half whiskey, half water. Quite the lightweight these days. So Mm. I only drink like once a week, maybe. That's so real. All that to say, uh, this is this could be a heavy topic. I just want to say, you know, we obviously we're trying to bring our 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 signature levity to this topic. But yeah, we will be talking about abortion. We're talking about miscarriage, uh, women's health, things like that. If that is a, um, if that's going to be triggering for you, you know, you can go ahead and turn the podcast off or just like turn the volume all the way down. So we get to listen. But if you want to do us a favor that way, but if it's too much for you, you don't have to listen. That's fine. Make yourself a nice tea, sit down, enjoy your day. Uh, but if you want to get into this discussion, we're going to, we're going to get into it. There's going to be uh, like, I think that it's, we should also point out there are going to be a lot of abortion jokes. So just, yeah, that's just what we do here. Yeah. So if, if, if abortion humor is not your cup of tea either, that is also right. <laughs> just so you know, this is what's going to happen because yeah. this is a thing that they like intentionally traumatized us with. Yeah. And I'm not here for it. Yeah, because it, it is this, it is a, a, not funny, but it is so triggering and polarizing. Um, mm-hmm. And and I feel like evangelicals have made it much more triggering and polarizing, I think, than it needs to be. Yes. I am, I'm hoping that in us talking about it a little more, people can walk away with ways to maybe de-escalate that tension and actually have a conversation about it. Hmm. Because... Yeah, I think the it's framed as you either think fetuses are 100% humans deserving of all the rights, maybe even more rights than a mother, or you don't care about them at all. You just think it's a vestigial organ and you can do with it what you will. It's just a growth of some kind. And 
I feel like there's a lot in between there that you can tease out, but I think it just gets framed as like, this is where you're, who you are. And I, I do think that formerly religious people like have trouble making any kind of leap away from the evangelical position, even if they've like deconstructed a lot of other things. Mm. Like I find that in these spaces, there's still, because it's been weaponized so much, mm. it's, it's harder to deconstruct that piece. I think amongst people, maybe I'm wrong, but that's just been my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think so too. I was, you know, like my kind of take on it before I started asking questions, like more serious questions, I was like, oh yeah. Like I'm always, I, I, you know, unlike evangelicals that I was surrounded by, I was like, why are we not giving like all, all high school kids like free contraception like whatever they want <laughs> like why yeah. is this not a thing so I wasn't I guess I wasn't really a typical like pro-choice person right because I've always been pretty much about harm reduction and so when I realized that these anti-abortion laws and not even the laws the anti-abortion rhetoric and shaming and trying to like shape this narrative of women and pregnant people who get abortions are like irresponsible, which means that we need to make them have a child. Like what? And, you know, I, like I had, I had somebody a couple of weeks ago on Twitter say, say like something about women using, using abortion as like their primary form of birth control. Like, no, no, I don't know. Condoms are not that expensive. First of all, number one, they're way more expensive. It's way more expensive to go and get an abortion. Yeah. And again, nobody wants to go to the vagina dentist. That is not a fun time. <laughs> so like, I don't know. I don't, I, I guess it's like, it, there's so much, there's so much just misogyny, right. And like kind of built into this, that's kind of it, that they label as like protecting women, protecting babies, whatever, you know, we're making this better for you somehow. But I think that what it really does come down to this idea of, you know, men know what is best for people who can get pregnant. And I think that, you know, it really, the anti, the anti-abortion rhetoric, and we'll get into a little bit of like the history of that, but the anti-abortion rhetoric is very much about control, right? Yeah. Like they, they won't admit that they will say that it's, they're just trying to help they're just trying to save lives, but you know, it really, it's about control and emotional manipulation at the end of the day. So at the very least, like your argument on, on that point, you're very, (laughs) at the very least, your argument is unethical in the way that you are deploying it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like like from, from the very like base, the arguments in favor of, or at least in, in the United States, as they're typically given the arguments the pro-life argument is morally hollow like right out of the gate it's just it's not there's not there's nothing there and the biblical foundations they claim it's laid on are are not there don't exist they they do not exist before we get into those biblical arguments how was it framed for you because for me it was always framed as the bible is clearly pro-life like there's not, and there's almost never any references given to that. It's mm-hmm. just like the Bible from cover to cover is pro-life is against abortion. Like that is how it's presented. And there's, you know, like, 
like Jeremiah, they'll say like, well, they God knew Jeremiah in the womb and had plans for him from birth. So that, that means God's against abortion, you know? And of course, as I, as I got better at biblical studies, I was like, that means God had plans for Jeremiah. Like, I mean, shit about you, Charlie. Like, so that's how it was framed for me in a lot of ways. How was it framed for you? And yeah, how did you start to kind of pull that apart? Yeah. So like I said, my mom, I've said on here many times, my mom was like an anti-abortion activist in the state and Oregon, you know, like abortion is protected in the Oregon state constitution. We were the first state to legalize abortion about five years before Roe and Oregon is the only state in the country where you can get an abortion whenever you need one, right? You're not forced to give birth if you have some sort of complication, right? After, after like 30 weeks or 32 weeks, like they don't, they don't make you do that. Right. And so it's, it was interesting being raised like in this like tiny little space of pro-lifeness and everything like, but being in a much wider culture in Portland Mm -hmm. where it was very much the opposite of that. Right. It was very much like autonomy and people should be allowed to choose what they do with their bodies and lives and futures. And yeah. So I don't know that it was ever made like, like a biblical, I don't know that anybody ever tried to make it like a biblical thing. I definitely, I I don't know that I heard like the Bible is clearly pro-life because I, you know, by, by eight or nine, I could have pulled up some verses and been like, listen, bitch, (laughs) this is not how this is going down. Like you can make other arguments, but like the Bible, I'm, I'm pretty sure like Jamie Lee Finch had this incredible hashtag that she was using like last year. I think like the Bible is not pro-life, I think is what it was. Yeah. And it was so solid because it's, it's not like there is no, there is no sanctity of life in the Bible. If you are reading it literally yeah. as a white evangelical, like through the lens of capitalism, <laughs> the Bible is anti-life in most cases. Yeah. And like not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to like super exaggerate or like misrepresent the point, but I, you know, I was, I was given more of like, um, a scientific quote unquote, uh, (laughs) argument against abortion because it was like, this is a life. It's a beating heart. So we have to, we have to protect, we have to protect these fetuses. And they're not, it's like, we have to protect this like zygote. (laughs) from its mother like we're not even at fetus stage yet like not there and because because these because these women are bad right you know there was obviously this was the early 90s so there wasn't any talk there wasn't any discussion about other genders but like it was these women are are bad and they need to be punished yeah these welfare queens out Mm -hmm. you know and 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 that was like the framing like when you imagined a single mother going to an abortion clinic, it was, you know, usually a woman of color, usually promiscuous, usually like, like the, the framing is there like very, very early on, at least for me, you know, yes. like, it, well, it's actually interesting. If honestly, if I, you were to ask me to picture someone, then it like, if it was an adult, it would have been a woman of color. Mm-hmm. If it was, you know, it had been a girl that, in youth group that was deceived. If it was like a teenager deceived Teen, yeah. by some, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's like either way, it's like a single mom 
who's promiscuous or screwed her life up that she's going to get an abortion when like statistically that is honestly, I don't know that it has ever been the case that the majority of people seeking abortions are single mothers or single women. But even as far back, I was reading today in the 1800s. Now there's not a lot of statistics in the 1800s. So right. get that very clear. This is, they weren't doing statistical analysis, but just <laughs> in, in places where they have records, it is overwhelmingly women that already have children yeah. that are seeking abortive care. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that it has been framed for us as like biblical and the, and the way that it's framed, like who's getting abortions, women living in sin, right. Like, need to be taught a lesson. Right. Um, and of course, teaching a lesson is always punitive in mm-hmm. evangelicalism. It's never, it's, it's not restorative. It's never a restorative. It's never, we will take care of you. It's like, if we punish you, you enough, need to suffer. if you suffer enough, you will hit rock bottom and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And this baby will somehow be okay in that process, which is ridiculous and inhumane, but yeah. So one thing that I think is really interesting and, you know, I think probably needs a little bit more attention brought to it is just like the history of like a quote unquote pro-life movement in the United States. These folks who kind of started this, like their, their, their thing before had been keeping school segregated. Yeah. 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 I wanted to get into that too. Like, um, so we're already starting from a place of, of racism massage noir like mm-hmm. that's 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 what that's what pro-life in this country is built on much like yep. evangelicalism <laughs> it's racism all the way down it is so i, I did though want to in, in an effort to try to systematize our adhd nonsense hey. um i did want to go into like just some of these bible verses that are used uh because oh, i yeah. find it i find it interesting what evangelicals do with them you know, there is Exodus 21, uh, which is uh, a bit of a famous one. Mm-hmm. So and it's it's part of the law. And just to kind of go back, this is the Mosaic law, like the law, quote unquote, written by Moses, whatever you want to say about that. Um, and a lot of this law is thought to be um, case law. So it's like kind of a, a case by case basis. So they're just, you know, people have come to the lawgiver, the judge or Moses or whoever, and they have a case and then that he's making a ruling on it. And so this ruling is, you know, the sex is 21, 22. Uh, if men fight and hit a pregnant woman and her child is born prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the one who hit her will surely be punished in accordance with the woman's husband demands of him and he will pay what the court decides. So there's a consequence. Like if two men are fighting, it's, I mean, it's, in some ways, it's an, a scene that's not hard to imagine. You know, two men are fighting in the street and one of them, you know, one of their wives, women, whatever, uh, tries to get between them to get them to stop. And she is hit and gives birth, you know, gives birth prematurely or she, you know, the baby dies. The one man owes the other man a fine, uh, whatever the court decides. But if Which there is, is, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that's very, very different from like, if you kill somebody, it's manslaughter. It's not yeah. like, oh, I'm going to write you a check. Yeah. And the serious injury is like grievous harm because it goes on to say, if there is serious injury, then you will give a life for a life, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Like, and it, but that means, a, that's is, referring to the mother. Yes. Yeah, right? so that is referring to the, the pregnant mother. person. Most, 
most of the Jewish tradition that I have been reading, most of the tradition says that this is all square on the mother. So if okay. the if the baby is born prematurely, you have to pay essentially property damage. It's very similar language to what you would pay someone if they lost a slave. Mm. So it's it's essentially you are paying property damage because, you know, this person was going to have a child and they didn't. So it's it's not that the fetus is nothing. Right. But if there is serious injury to the to the I'll say the woman in the case, I know that sounds kind of demeaning, but it's just, you know, this is ancient Near East. If there is serious injury, if she does die, then, you know, you owe an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth because, you know, and eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know, basically, you know, wrong for wrong sounds a little barbaric to us, but I got to say that it's a, it's quite progressive in a society where it's like, okay, if you kill my brother, I can only kill your brother in return. I cannot kill your entire family. Um, if you kill my wife, then you only owe me a life, one life, not all of all of the lives around you. So it's mm. it does sound barbaric to us, but there is a certain mediating factor there. And there is some debate I can agree with. And there's some, but the fact that there is so much debate shows that this isn't very clear, whether it's talking about the woman or the baby or whatever. It seems to me very much from what I know of Hebrew and from what I know of people that know Hebrew, that it's talking about the woman. You know, if if the woman, if the baby is born and it's and it dies, but the woman is otherwise okay, you owe a fine. If mm-hmm. the baby is, is dies and the woman dies, then you're guilty of murder. Uh, and that seems pretty clear to me that the Bible is not considering a baby to be equal with a already living mother. The the biblical understanding of when life begins is at the first breath. Like that's very clear. Yeah. And and in even like when the ancient Israelites were asked to do a census, they were told specifically not to count people that were less than like two months old, which in the ancient Near East makes a lot of sense because yeah. they probably they may or may not live. What's the point of counting them? But if that is the attitude then you can't make a case that God thinks that all fetuses are humans <laughs> when even a two month old is not technically considered worthy of counting as yeah. a human. No, I mean, there's, we ha- there was like this kind of argument. Go- I don't even know where I'm going with this. So there was this argument that scientists were making for a while about like humans being born too early Right. Because like, and it was that kind of thing of like, I yikes, like you need constant, like 24 hour care in order to just like keep this small thing alive for, you know, and it's, it's, it's like, it's overwhelming. And like the amount of work that goes into that is like just keeping an infant alive is, um, it's a lot. I mean, I mean, I think that the other piece of like the biblical argument is like abortion clearly existed. It existed Mm -hmm. in biblical times, whatever you want to count that as, because that's like 3000 years or something. But Yeah. yeah, so it's really it's really interesting to me that like Jesus doesn't mention it. Yeah. You know, I don't even know if Paul mentions it, frankly. No. And and the earliest written uh, accounts of abortion are in Egypt, mm-hmm. which the Israelites would have been very familiar with. Yeah. Um, archaeological evidence goes back much further, but I think it's, um, but the first like written in hundred BC, I think uh-huh. is the first yeah. kind of written 
documentation. Hey, we did did abortions. Right. Um, right. Yeah. uh, You know, so it's not an archaeological evidence for abortifacants, um, surgeries, even, you know, all all manner of, I'm not going to go into all the details, but all manner of ways to get rid of an unwanted pregnancy, to terminate an Mm -hmm. unwanted pregnancy have existed, I think, since pregnancy. So it's not like this wasn't around. Right. And if you believe that the Old Testament or the Torah was written in large part to consolidate your culture and to show how your culture contrasts with the cultures around it, that would be a way to do that. <laughs> is to make a very clear line in the sand that our God is pro-fetus, but that does not <laughs> happen in the pages of scripture. And in the next verse, we'll look at that actually seems to be the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if you wanted to talk a little bit about Numbers 5, the the test for an unfaithful life. Oh my gosh. There's see the thing about this is like, there's, there's so many levels and I don't, I'm trying to even remember because when I, when I first started kind of, I guess, questioning my pro-life ness again, it was because I was, I was asking questions and trying to figure out harm reduction. And I realized that like, it doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what like I personally believe about like your circumstance. Like, I don't get to tell you that staying pregnant when you do not want to be pregnant is harm reduction. Like, I don't get to dictate that to you. I don't get to determine that, like, that's good for you as an individual. Like, that is, that's your choice, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't get to, nobody gets to dictate that to you, right? Like, autonomy is a very real thing. And so this verse, like, this, like, little blurb about, you know, if... If a man thinks that his wife has cheated on him and she's pregnant and uh, he's like mad about this, which again, like, this is really interesting. Like how, how, would how would you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so apparently like he's just supposed to take his wife to the priest and uh, the priest makes this little magic potion that the dirt pregnant person is supposed potion. to that the pregnant person is supposed to drink. And if they like, if they have a miscarriage, if they spontaneously abort, then that was proof that she was cheating, Yeah, I guess. And if she doesn't, it's all good. And like, respectfully, that's not really how, that's not really how that works. Um, (laughs) Like that's magic. Okay. So, um, well, there is a lot of sorcery in the Bible. Even there in the is. New Testament. There and, is. Yeah. But a lot, of, a lot of magical rituals going on. Communion. Ayo. <laughs> Gross. But yeah, like I was pro-choice. I actually now that I think about it, if you've ever had me as a pastor, I was pro-choice during that time. Hmm. Even when I was pro-life theologically, like personally. Right. right. Yeah. I yeah. just felt like it was not in a secular republic, which is what we live in, it did not make sense for me to legislate morality. Right. Or to tell people what they could and could not do. Um, right. So even though I, at the time, theologically, I was like, yeah, this it's sin. But like, well, divorce is sin and to me at the time. You know, like kind of <laughs> right, we don't right. say people aren't allowed to get divorced. That's ridiculous. Right. Um, so that was the, that was the, I was pro-choice my, almost my entire adult life, even if right. I was pro-life you know, personally. And like, I remember we would have these like sanctity of life Sundays 
you know, and mm-hmm. I, I, the whole time I'm thinking about, I'm looking around the room and I'm like, statistically, I'm guessing probably 10 women in a fear have had abortions, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like who's thinking about these women? Like just the assumption that like everyone, like, and cause I remember there was one of them that was like, this is over the top ridiculous. Like we okay. think like we, Never did responsive readings in this church, but we did like a responsive reading that was like an oath to protect the unborn or something. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever been a part of. And the whole time I'm thinking like, I'm looking around, like a couple of women I suspected may have had abortions, you know, right, just, right, just knowing right. who they were. And I'm like, this is not cool. Like, this is not cool that we are going over the top about this, especially when it, it's not biblical. And yeah, like numbers, like, if it was just the Exodus passage, you could go like, eh, maybe, maybe not. But then like this numbers passage, like literally instructs the priest and how to perform an abortion to figure out if someone's been unfaithful yeah. and whether or not like, drinking of this particular dirt water actually was an abortificant or not, isn't important not to really me. The issue, right. It's that theologically they believe that God would terminate the pregnancy of this innocent baby, honestly, child, you know, baby in their terms, you know, right, fetus right, in right. Our terms this innocent baby who did nothing wrong that God would terminate their life just because the husband suspected that she was unfaithful. And if she actually was, then this baby would die. And yet there, and yet there are evangelicals today that are like, if a woman is raped, she should give birth to that baby because aborting it is punishing the most innocent person in the room, which is so fraught with ethical problems. Anyway, but it's like, that is not, that is not basing. That is not a morality that is based in the book that you say it is. Totally. I mean, God. God kills people's children, infants, newborns, as punishment all the time. That have been born already. Mm-hmm. The Bible is not pro-life. It is not pro-life at all. Yeah. No. It, I'm just thinking about like David and Bathsheba, and specifically that 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 story. Yeah. She she is pregnant, and then she she miscarries. Yeah. And like, because God, yeah, because God was like, well, you sinned. This is the punishment, which is really, really, which is really, really interesting that it's like, it's the opposite. Like in, in our culture for white evangelicals, the punishment is being forced to keep the child. And in that culture, like the punishment was the child dying. So uh, God's just super into punishment, apparently. Well, so are white evangelicals. Yeah. Like, honestly, the more, the more the their God is my devil in a lot of ways. (laughs) Like in so many ways. And it's, yeah, it it fascinates me in a morbid way, like how they will twist this book to make it pro-life when, yeah, and it's clearly not pro-life. Right. Right. By any stretch of the imagination. Even early getting into like kind of the Christian era, there were debates amongst Christians even over um, early Christians. And the consensus was, you know, that it was fine before what they called the quickening, mm-hmm. which was essentially when, when a woman could feel that she was pregnant, it was probably morally wrong. That's kind of what the consensus was for a long time. And that was back and forth on that too. And that was just their understanding of, you know, life and how it formed. Right. Like if you That's think you're pregnant, then, then take the supportificant or, do, you know, do, you know, right. the various ways that, you know, pregnancies have been terminated. And if it passes, it passes, no big deal. Other Christians debated that and in the Jewish perspective too is, is different still, but there was a debate is what I, is I guess what I'm saying for 
a long time. And there were seasons in, you know, like medieval Europe where, you know, midwives would be, you know, accused of witchcraft for aborting, whatever. But in a lot of ways, it's like, it's more like who you were aborting, not necessarily that you were. Right. Um, that you were doing it. Doing it. It's more like, oh, yeah. you, uh, the, uh, this noble's son, uh, <laughs> you're a witch. <laughs> um, but it was just some peasant kid number 13. Oh, well, right. <laughs> Uh, something that I think is really interesting too, like having grown up in that, in, in, in white evangelicalism and like their Israel worship is that abortion is legal pretty much at any point in the country of Israel. Yes, that's true. Um, like they don't really, apparently there's like this board that you might be sent to. Yeah, there is a, it's like, you have to apply. Right. But they, apparently they approve like. 99% 99% of them, like they don't even like look at it and it's for any reason, right? It's like your, your mental health, your physical health, you don't feel like you can afford to have a baby, like whatever it is, like they don't, they don't discriminate on uh, about like the mm-hmm. why, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like whatever your why is, is valid. I don't yeah. want kids. Great. Don't have one, please. I'm begging you. hmm but yeah, I do think that that's really funny. They never talk about that. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, their uh, abortion laws in Israel are very, like, very loose compared to yeah. here. Yeah. But their abortion rate is lower than in the United States. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Wow. And it's, you know, there is a, there is a correlation and it's not a direct correlation, but there is a correlation between countries that ban abortion and Mm -hmm. having high rates of abortion. Yeah. And like higher than whatever is documented. Yeah. Cause it's obviously because you would go to jail if you admitted it. So yeah, Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It is. And, you know, even, even into the founding of America, there's writings of the founding fathers. I think it was Ben Franklin and maybe a couple other ones that were like, Sounds yeah, they like don't something. talk about abortion. They don't talk about abortion much because I don't think they cared. Well, yeah, but, 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 but Ben Franklin was one of those guys who had to have his little hands in every he, possible he, issue. Yeah, he probably thought about abortion a lot. Um, <laughs> probably provided for a few abortions too. But yeah, I think he wrote that yeah, essentially you know, within the first three to five months, if you don't feel it moving, it's not a person. Right. That's the general consensus. And it's interesting. I don't want to bore people necessarily with the long history, but it is interesting. Once you get into the 1800s, there is a weird push pull that's I think is happening even today between women getting more freedom and men typically pushing for restrictions on their ability to get abortions. Wow. There is a, it's 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 not direct. I right, there's probably right. a, there's probably a master's thesis in this somewhere. Surely. And again, I don't know it's I don't know if it's intentional, but you see it around the 1800s where you know the medical profession starts to become more professional mm-hmm. and professional means male and white. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um really starting to push these midwives out and talk about abortions wrong. And you know, you get into the um area you know women's suffrage starts go, becoming in vogue in the 1900s yeah. or late 1800s early 1900s there's this big push against abortion wow. uh, and then you see the sexual revolution in the 60s which you know again white evangelicals perfectly fine with abortion 
Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. thought this is a mm-hmm. Catholic issue. We do not care. Right. Uh, when Roe v. Wade was signed, they were like, not a big deal. This is actually yeah. a good thing for women, a good yeah. thing for families. Planned Parenthood was framed by the Southern Baptist Convention as good for families mm-hmm. because, you know, family planning is a good thing. Uh, and it really wasn't until like the, you know, it's like second wave feminism starts ro- rolling and you get into like the 70s and 80s, all of a sudden, especially 1980, when you have Reagan pop in and this is where we'll kind of yeah. slow, slow down a bit, <laughs> that all of a sudden, again, abortion is an issue. And so there is this weird kind of push pull between like women get a little more freedom, like uh, abortions, we got to tamp down on those. And it, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And I'm sure, yeah, there's somebody, there's somebody doing a master's on it mm-hmm. for a dissertation, but I've, 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 I've seen that just in looking at the timelines and other people have pointed out in articles this is like an original idea to me, but it is interesting. Yeah. And, and there has been a debate unless you talk to an evangelical today and then it's like the consensus of history forever right. has been abortion is always wrong except for you godless liberals yeah yeah I, oh my gosh that's, that's so weird i mean i think that you know when you know i think that when people really started to realize that like they weren't like brown versus board of education was going to stay in place <laughs> longer than they wanted you know i think that had, they had to like come up with something else to rally around. And it's funny that they chose abortion because just, just based on what I know of the history of like white American evangelicals, I assume most of them probably supported abortion access because of their racism, because they were mm-hmm. like, those women are the ones who need to not be procreating. Right. Mm-hmm. And they still think that they just want to add like a new person into the mix to suffer for mm-hmm. it. But yeah, they really like it was it was like brown and taking prayer out of schools it was apparently just like really it was very hard for those delicate flowers to deal with. Yeah, because then they started all these Christian private schools. Yes, correct. So there was were... a bunch of white flight from public schools. Still yeah. is, by the way. Still exists. I'm a product of a white flight Christian school. Yeah, there you go. I mean, so am I, except I was homeschooled. Um, <laughs> like, Jesus. Uh, the staff that I will always bring up, Houston Independent School District, which was fighting, which was fighting like the desegregation law, I think in the courts until like the 70s or 80s, just for mm-hmm. just for reference. Yeah. So if 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 all of the students in Houston Independent School District attended their local schools, like the not the percentage of students who would be receiving free or reduced price lunch would be 40%. The percentage of students who are receiving free or reduced price lunches in Houston Independent School District is 80%. Mm-hmm. That's how many people have, you know, that's how many racists there are in Houston, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's a large number. So, yeah. And the thing about all of this, the way that they weaponize abortion, like against women of color, especially. And, you know, it was women of color and, and queer women and non-binary folks who were the ones who were doing the groundwork before, before Roe. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's probably where this came from was like, Oh, if, if black women support it, it's wrong. Right. And there is a very long history in this country of if black women are doing it, it is a bad thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I don't know, like maybe that was, maybe that was why it was because they knew that the people who were doing the work on the ground to make abortion legal, 
you know, before it was legal in all 50 states were largely like women of color. Well, they also had really had the wind blown out of their sails with the Brown versus Board of Education. Yes. And then also several of the other, well, it was, there was Brown versus Board of Education, which said like, hey, you need to desegregate. Right. That was like, what, 1950? 1950s. Yeah. And But there were a lot of school districts that just like continued segregating. Yes. And it was when the Supreme, yeah, for decades. And then, then the Supreme Court weighed in again and said like, hey, you must integrate now, which was done haphazardly and not great, but, you know, kudos to the Supreme Court to like, say like, no, like you can't, you can't drag <laughs> one of the no times, more. one of the two times the Supreme Court has, you know, has done the right thing. So then, so then, yeah, they pulled all the things out and I'm, I actually just pulled up the, my notes cause I wanted to make mm. sure I got this right. You know, like African-American parents started in Mississippi, started suing these private Christian schools because they, you know, again, this all white flight. So in 1971, that's when, you know, basically segregated schools were outlawed. And this was not just segregated public schools. This was colleges, too. This was Bob Jones University was a segregated mm-hmm. school. And it wasn't until like 2000 something that like interracial people could date at Bob Jones. Yeah. Like that was a, that was a rule on the books at the school that they enforced. Yeah. Um, like, so, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this this is not like when people say racism is dead, like, mm, like it's not been dead I long. I don't know about uh, that. So I think they really had the wind blown out of their sails. And, you know, you, you've got a lot of money ripped out of out from under you when your nonprofit status is revoked. And they were mad, like and even like so they there were Republicans that were Republican not evangelicals right? that began trying to see this as a potential base, you know, this grievance that white evangelicals had, Mm -hmm. they began to see them as a potential base, which, you know, it worked for them with Nixon too. And the Southern Mm -hmm. strategy of of taking disaffected white people and making them angry and pointing them at somebody, usually, you know, a black person and saying, and, and, and then getting them to vote Republican. Like this was the strategy. And they were pulled into the Republican strategy. And this is what put Reagan in office. And, you know, even people, there was a guy, uh, Elmer Rummeringer. Rummeringer? Whoa. He was an administrator at Bob Jones University. And he even said, like, it was not an anti-abortion movement for him. You know, for me, it was about the government intrusion into private education is how this started. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. white evangelicals jumping in to the Republican Party and jumping into being anti-abortion alongside Catholics at the time really was more about ability to control schools and to control yeah. students. Yeah. And it kind of abortion was just kind of like the rallying cry that that got everybody in the same room together. Now it's taken on a life of its own. Um, yeah. But like your their foundation was racism and their foundation was theological and science scientific air quotes racism take all the drinks uh yeah the the bob jones thing was 2003 and i like just a small anecdote when yeah when when my partner was attending bob jones it was not you you weren't allowed to like be in an interracial relationship and also they would make biracial people choose a race oh my god to identify with so that they would know who, who you were allowed to date. Oh my like gosh. who you were allowed to date. 
you can be white or you can be Korean. Got to decide. This is within the lifetime of Gen Z folks. Literally. Like literally. It's yeah. It was, no, it was two. Yeah, it was 2003 when they finally like. I'm sure. I'm sure that they still find ways to be punitive and harass interracial mm-hmm. couples if there are many. I assume there's not a ton, but you know, never know. I was a waiter at a bar in Greenville, South Carolina, where Rob Jones University is, and everybody hates that place. Everybody hates Greenville or everybody hates Bob Jones? Bob Jones. Greenville's okay. great. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, I've heard some good stuff it's about terrible. Greenville. Greenville's fantastic. Like, it's, you know, I would definitely go there again. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Having been, I was a waiter there for a while and had a rib joint. And uh, yeah, people hate that place. Oh, my gosh. Be- because racism. Like, no one likes yeah. racists. Sorry. You're miserable people. <laughs> you are miserable people, for sure. And uh, speaking of racists being miserable, uh, I think we should probably take a a brief break for an ad before we kind of dig into kind of the more modern history and then and then, you know, end on like, what can we do now? Because, you know, this abortion is a shit show. You know, we need to have a plan of action if we can. But we're going to be served up with a relevant ad to your life. And then for abortion pills, it's plan B. Oh, (laughs) if. If you get an ad for plan B, please tell us. Oh gosh. Do they do podcast ads? I don't know if they do. Make my day. Plan B, if you're listening. (laughs) Please support. We're very (laughs) pro-abortion on this podcast. We are. Okay. We'll send you our metrics. Okay. We're going to an ad. (laughs) Okay. All right. And we're back. Thank you for listening to those ads. I hope they were good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of getting into the 1980s and Reagan kind of coming in who was not a super pro-life person, but no. saw the opportunity and ran with it. And, and Reagan saw opportunities and ran with them. You know, I, that was how that, he rolled. That was, that was a trait of Reagan. That's a, I don't want to get too deep into Ronald Reagan as a person, but like sincerely fuck that guy. Like he was, he was a fucking narc during like yeah. the red scare. Like he was turning yes. in his fellow uh, actors that he believed might be communists. And believed might be is the operative. Believed word might there. be. Yes. Believed like, might be. <laughs> yeah. Like didn't talk highly enough about America during this party. Therefore they might be communists. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Which was a very serious thing to accuse people of because people were executed for that shit. Yeah. So. so he's an opportunistic asshole. I'll truly, say that. truly. Um, and yep. you know, hey, capitalism. You know, what are you going to do? Capitalism. What are you going to do? Yeah. The system rewarded him handsomely for that. So much like gets, someone else we know. Much like another <laughs> diet Reagan, if you will. Actually, no. So like funny. the most recent Republican president is more like the Fago Reagan. Okay. There we go. I think not diet. <laughs> you know, George Bush was the diet Reagan. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Donald Trump is the Fago Reagan. <laughs> Fuck, Bill Clinton could have been the Diet Reagan. Like that's also true. Like, like I've seen people say we're mess. in the. I've seen people say we're in the eleventh term of Reagan's presidency, <laughs> and I, I, I feel that in a in a way. Yes, well, but sob. Ronald Reagan, big big deal in modern politics, whether you like him or not. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. really codified a lot of these racial ideas into policy in 
I wouldn't even say into policy, which is more into like party talking points. Obviously, Roe v. Wade currently is, you know, still the law of the land. But, you know, Reagan, you know, the idea of the welfare queen, the woman mooching off the system and that woman being associated with abortion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that kind of those those archetypes are really established during that yeah. time and yeah. during our childhood, too. Yes. Like, you know, most people listening to this grew up in a household or in a in a, a place where, you know, abortion was wrong. And the people that do abortions and the people that do abortions were those archetypes were created by the Reagan administration. Yeah, no. And that was that was like an intentionally racist trope, even though it was like the person that he was specifically speaking of was a white passing black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still like welfare queens and she had she had a lot of other things going on in her life Mm -hmm. so i don't you know on top of on top of mental health issues and breaking the law and committing murder from what we literally from what we understand (laughs) there was a lot going on in that woman's life but yeah it was supposed to be this racialized because it's like well we can't say the n-word anymore so what are we gonna do we got to come up with new language and like welfare queen who knows who came up with that but it was like it was, it was, it stuck. And, you know, I think again, they're just, they're just so unwilling to like, look at, look at the data (laughs) and figure out what was going on. Crime rose. If I recall correctly, crime rose every single year that Reagan was in office, every fucking year it went up. Not tough on crime at all. (laughs) I mean, you put a lot of people in jail. True. Didn't help. I guess they got the wrong guy. Like, I don't really know. (laughs) Well, I do have, you know, because the boomers being the high crime generation demographic that they are, are, (laughs) they were old enough to do a lot of crime during Reagan's years. They're doing a lot of criming. Mm -hmm. So from what I have read in every age bracket, when the boomers become that age bracket, crime goes up. Oh my gosh, they just like, they drank too much lead as babies. The the data, the historical data on boomers does not look good. Like mm-hmm. it just really doesn't. Yeah, um, they hold they made up the whole thing about like crack babies, which ended up like not being a real thing. But boomers were literally lead babies. That's why they have no empathy. <laughs> <laughs> they were well, eating all the paint chips off of their cribs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Sorry. Not sorry. I will never apologize to boomers. Sorry. I will not. I won't do it. Sorry. Go cry. Go cry, Mm -hmm. you snowflake. (laughs) I'll give you a participation trophy for it. Right. Oh, my gosh. Getting so mad. It's like these millennials getting participation trophies. Like you're our fucking parents. We didn't give ourselves a (laughs) trophy. You did that. I didn't elect to give myself a trophy. (laughs) Right. That was your choice. Yeah. It was you. You created an entire industry on fake the tiny trophies for children, and then you blame us for it. You're all so entitled and you don't work hard. It's like, well, we work harder than you motherfuckers because you were able to just go to work and pay your mortgage, and we got to go to at least three jobs to do that. Yeah, I got to monetize every hobby I have (laughs) to make ends meet. I am so here for this podcast just turning into a let's drag boomers. Well, but <laughs> seriously, boomers were the ones at the epicenter of this whole clusterfuck around abortion. Like, yes. you know, opportunistic people on the Republican Party 
yeah. you know, and gullible people amongst the religious right coming together, all of them boomers creating this, you know, very mm-hmm. strange anti-abortion push that has gotten people together. Like even there were people even after seeing all of that Donald Trump had done, you know, I, I can somewhat, I've gotten to a place where I can somewhat see why someone would vote for Trump in whatever year it was, 2016. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Okay. But after 2020, it's like you had four years. You had like a, you had, you, you saw what the man did with his four years, which which was nothing. He gave a bunch of money to billionaires. Yeah. Sold a lot of weapons to not great people. Didn't sell very many vaccines. <laughs> didn't get us any vaccines. Intentionally didn't buy vaccines, from what I recall. Yeah, no, declined multiple times. Yeah. Whatever, it's fine. Anyway. No, it's not. So, like, but there were people that voted for Donald Trump because they, like, they're like, we know he's evil, but he's... He's less evil than he's, Hillary. He's anti-abortion, is what, what? they, like... Right, Hillary's pro-abortion. And so we can't allow ourselves to vote for him. Like, I, even, I think it was this, there was this piece by John Piper around the 2020 election, which, you know, he basically said he, he can't vote for Donald Trump because he's morally repugnant, which, good for you, John Piper. You know, even a blind squirrel is finds a nut or whatever. Um, every now and then, I don't know. I was really mixing that in another phrase. About and I was like, wow. <laughs> but at the same time, he's basically, he didn't say it, but he like clarified later. He says like, he, cause he got a lot of pushback from Theobrogens that were like, you're voting for Biden. And he's basically like, I'm not voting for Biden. Cause I can't vote for anyone that's for abortion. Jesus I decided Christ. that in 1985 or whatever, but I can't vote for Donald Trump either. So it's, it's, it's got a hold on people. Like this, the Reagan era really like sunk this in deep that if you vote for a Democrat, you're voting for a baby killer. Yeah. You're, you're voting against babies. And I don't know, I honestly don't even know how to fix it. Cause I, I, like I've mentioned friends on this podcast a few times that are like, we don't care how much harm it causes. Mm-hmm. We are anti-abortion period. Mm-hmm. Like they just don't care. And Yeah. I don't I don't know if like boomers are feeding this lead-based paint to their children to make them unempathetic too, but that might have that that might have been more taught than caught. Yeah. So I don't I don't Tori, like where where do we, you know, the Bible is not pro-life, period. At the end of that sentence. Hey, um, um maybe the Bible's cooler than we thought. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um Bible's actually pretty pro-abortion, honestly. I mean. Yeah. And church history, at least it was debated periodically mm-hmm. as, you know, life being sacred. And and I do think bringing the Jewish perspective in for a second, I do appreciate. And again, I will say the Jewish perspective broadly in air quotes because there are many Jewish perspectives. But yeah, generally, the Jewish perspective is that abortion is not just like a laissez faire thing that you just do because they do have they do have. I'm understanding that the fetus is sacred, but that it is not more sacred than the mother. Right. And I think that that is a, whether to, if you're going to process this theologically and not everybody does, I don't think you and I necessarily do anymore, right. but I know that people listen to this too. I do think it is, it is a big jump for people to go from this like hyper, you know, evangelical view to to a view that to any other view 
and I do think reading Jewish sources can be a help here because oh. I think that harm reduction sits at the very center. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was the doctor, I, I forget, I forget their name and I, I wish I could remember, but there was a doctor, you know, during the Holocaust who performed abortions on hundreds, if not thousands of women, you know, because when women were being sent to the concentration camps, if they were pregnant, they would be executed immediately. Or if, you know, guards assaulted them and raped them and they became pregnant, they would be executed immediately. And so in the ethical framework, it was, I, I am doing less harm right. by providing abortions to these women because it will save their life. And I think that the ability to be a little more flexible in our ethics provides us a way to, to actually think about this because that's the evangelical position does not even allow you any room to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there is no room to budge. You know, there are evangelicals right. that are like, you know, if the mother's dies, it's in God's hands. There's that extreme. I think that that's not very mainstream necessarily, but like there are a lot of, you know, Jewish rabbis, typically more liberal ones that, you know, when they look at it through a harm reduction framework, they're like, if it is psychologically distressing to the mother to carry this child to term, then it is justifiable for her to get an abortion. And that's processed theologically. And I would agree with that. So I think that is a perspective that for people that are struggling with the theological implications of abortion, I do think that reading Jewish sources would probably be helpful because I think they have a lightness with it and an ability to look at case by case, instance by instance, much more than evangelicalism allowed us to do. That's just kind of my plug. Again, I don't speak for Jews or any Jewish perspective for that matter. It's just, this is what I understand. But I do think that, uh, we need to have a little more, I think Christians need to have more ability to be flexible on this issue and to think about it ethically, not just theologically, because yeah, there's, it leads to more harm yeah, and it leads to more suffering. And, and ultimately it's a burden on society. I can't imagine a world in which, you know, a sizable percentage of children being raised in it are not wanted. Mm Mm-hmm or are being raised in substandard care because someone can't afford them. Like that is not a good society. Right. Right. And I mean, I think like the kind of trickle down harm of forcing someone to stay pregnant is for starters, it's way more expensive than just someone getting an abortion. So there's that, right? Like the amount, the amount of harm that's caused by a child being raised in an environment where their parents didn't feel that they were capable of raising a child at that particular moment. Like, yeah, there's all kinds of, uh, of trauma and like psychological harm that comes from that. Even, even if you, even if this is a situation where the person like was financially stable, let's say there's, yeah, it's just, it's really, it's really unfair that you are using a person using the innocent party as like a cudgel to punish pregnant people, people who get pregnant outside of cishet marriages, basically like that's, that's not, that's not okay. But again, like they don't, they don't see it that way. And that's where it gets, that's where it gets really like kind of complicated, I think is, you know, cause it's like, it doesn't matter how much distress you're in, like financially, emotionally, you know, like a child is always a blessing. 
kind mm-hmm. of thing. And but again, like when you ask them what, you know, what are we going to do to care for all of these people that clearly like the people who will not be able to access abortion once we figure out what's going on with this Texas case, Mississippi yeah. case, et cetera, they're going to be the people with the fewest resources. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, if you can't afford to like go to another state to get an abortion, you cannot afford to have a child. That's, that's a valid reason to not want one. And yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that one, I think being really kind of vocally pro-choice is like a, a really good starting point, you know, and like asking the why questions and the how questions of like, what are we going to do? And just, I think being open and honest about like this, for me, this is about harm reduction, right? Like, I know that you, you know, I, I keep get I keep getting stuck on this like conversation that I had with this like anti-abortion protester down the street because there's an abortion clinic in my neighborhood. Why did I call it an abortion clinic? There's like a gynecologist in my neighborhood. <laughs> like, I don't know why I'm using that language. That's so ridiculous. And you've been trained from birth to to frame it that way. I have, and, yeah. yes. And uh, it, you know, it was just it was really kind of interesting talking to talking to these folks because they were they were just like you know a child's always a blessing doesn't really matter and I'm like okay but like think about the fact that there are probably there are probably 10,000 people in this city right now who are pregnant right I'm like that's a that's just like a guess pulled that out of my ass but you know it's probably pretty close to true like mm-hmm. what are what are you what's your plan how are you how are you planning on taking care of 10,000 people every year. Like you don't want to take care of the people that exist. So like, why should I believe that you're trying to help the people that you want to be born? And yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's so hard and it gets so complicated because it's like, well, it's better to, it's better to be born and be raised in like a really abusive situation and to grow up in poverty than to be aborted. I'm just like, as someone who grew up in that situation, no, it's not (laughs) like, it's not. Yeah. It's not better to be born. I'm sorry. I mean, everybody gets to make their own decision. This is my call. No, yeah. that's not good. I would not wish that on anybody ever. So yeah, I mean, I think that I think that as much as possible, just being very clear about like this is it's just an issue of personal autonomy. Like your morality doesn't get to limit like my personal freedom since they're all about personal mm-hmm. freedom, right? you know, you're, you're, you were welcome to have your morality and that applies to your life. It does not apply to the law. And, and I would say too, specifically for, for men mm. being mm-hmm. vocal in your support for yes. abortion yes, is important. Please. Yes, please. Uh, I will say definitely take your cues from women as far as policy decisions and things like that. But as far as being supportive of abortion, I think the more liberal men that can be very vocal about it as well is important. I think because I think it's something that, you know, I'll see on Facebook all the time, you know, like one poor lone woman says like, I I'm pro abortion. And then just continually getting piled on. And that's like, I think that this is not just a women's issue necessarily. This is a huge, this is a human issue Mm -hmm. that I think that we need to, to humanize. I think, and again, 
if I'm trying to frame it for white evangelicals, who are they going to listen to? Yeah. That is, and that that's a sad reality that sucks. Uh-huh. I'm not like, but the truth is they're going to listen to me, a white man, yeah. much more than they're going to listen to a woman, you know, because yeah. the woman just wants to sin or whatever, or a <laughs> black woman who like super wants to sin for some reason, you know, like that's, that is the framework that they're in. So yeah. particularly white men be vocal in the fact that you are pro-choice, that you yeah. are pro-abortion, that you support abortion care. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That that and take the fire for that, yeah. Because that's that is that should not be one hundred percent women's job to do. Um, now, what you say, what you policies you advocate for, definitely you need to be listening to women and take a step back. But as far as like vocalizing your support, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Um, I would say another good thing to do is like know know where to send people, I guess, like be aware of like places that provide resources, right? Like either, either travel funds or abortion pills or, or whatever the situation is, like be aware of like places that you can point people to like resources, like, cause that's not, I mean, that's a couple of, that's a, that's like a, a Google search or two. Right. But I think that having, having that if you are, if you're in a state that is in the process of banning abortion, like definitely have that handy. It'll be 20, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, I think 26 states already have laws on the books. Yeah, it's more, I think, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of like, I don't remember what they call them, but like the, they have these like, basically like light switch laws. That's not what they are, but it's like, as soon as, as soon as there's, there's state legislation constitution says, the minute that Roe v. Wade is overturned, all abortion in the state is legal. I don't so. know if it's 26 that have those, but it's... There's some that have those. Half though. of the country, mm-hmm. it will be illegal in almost overnight. Mm-hmm. Or functionally illegal. Functionally illegal, right? You know, because like, we know who's going to have this enforced and who isn't. Or there'll be ridiculous laws like, yeah, it's legal here, but you have to catch it within like the first week of gestation or something ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it would have to be... You know, and you have to wait two weeks before having an abortion. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. You you know, and as far as I I see it going, I think the Republican Party knows that this is their only way to win. Yep. Is for this to be an issue. It'll be interesting how hard they push for Roe v. Wade to actually be overturned. um, Simply because that really takes a big motivator out. But I think it'll be at the state level then, like, we got to fight to keep abortion illegal in Ohio or wherever. And so it, it's it's tiring, honestly. Like, I don't want to necessarily continue to talk about it. I just want to <laughs> live in a country where abortions happen. And eh, like, that would be nice. Safely. Um, yeah, they happen safely. And women get them. And it's not my business. So I don't really care. Like I would like to be in that place, but it's just not where we are. And we we may not even be in our lifetime, but I think that being prepared, having the resources and being, and being not quietly supportive is, I think those are important key steps. And I think even normalizing it, like when they do, when they do polls, 
usually something like four out of five Americans are supportive of abortion access to some <laughs> degree. Uh-huh. It's not like it's like the vast majority of Americans are pro-abortion to some degree. Right. So I think the more you can be open about it mm-hmm. and the more you can say like, yeah, I support women getting abortions, the more it's like, oh yeah, duh, we all do. Like, why are we voting for these people? Right. Why are we allowing these people to, to represent us? Run our country. Yeah. To, yeah. To run our country. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, I, you know, we can only do what we can do, but I think that being vocal and advocating and knowing, you know, where resources are in case somebody asks, those are all, those are all good things. So yeah, in this crazy world that we live in, where <laughs> we have to keep talking about this, um, you know, there, there are things you can do. I'm not going to cast this saga. Because uh, <laughs> I think we're, we are the ones being cast in this saga. Like this Fair. is the time in history that we're born in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, this is one of many fights that we have to engage in on a lot of different fronts. And, you know, I, I, I'm here for it. But at the same time, it's, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what the next five to 10 years bring for us. Yeah. I don't know. Could be rough times, but. I mean, there's still way more of us than there are of them. And that gives and that gives me hope. Like, yeah, the evangelicals, they're not going anywhere necessarily, but they are getting smaller and fewer in number. And yeah, the more we can talk about it, the better. Yep. So where can people find us, Tori? Mm, well, we're on some social media spots uh, at Go Home Bible. We're, we're on the most pro-abortion <laughs> social medias <laughs> uh yeah no we <laughs> uh twitter and instagram at go home bible i'm at sorry glass on twitter and instagram too justin is on the things just, yeah, i'm also on the things at justin d gentry right yeah and if you would like to support our uh anti-abortion asses you could for us a couple dollars on Patreon, uh, patreon.com uh, slash go home Bible. You can get uh, up new episodes as well as like, occasional bonus content and a few other bells and whistles uh, for supporting us as well as just, you know, making sure that we you know can pay the bills as well as, you know, make sure we have good equipment, good sound, things like that, and do more in the future beyond just the podcast. If you would like, you can also contact us uh, at go home Bible at or not at go home, but go home Bible at gmail.com. Yeah, there we go. Too many ads. And, you know, we'll happily answer your email when we read it. Yeah. All right. Uh, cool. Hang in there, folks. It's going to be an interesting year. And uh, yeah, we'll see you around. Bye. Bye. Bye.